CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, as much as we love our jobs, it's always something new and fun when we get to talk to actors who aren't on soaps. So I had the pleasure of speaking to Marla Gibbs, who was cast as Paulina's mother, Olivia, on Days of Our Lives. Now, I was a huge fan of the Jeffersons, so it feels like I grew up knowing who Marla is. So I can say I was pretty excited to talk to her. Uh, So first of all, she told me she is a huge fan of Days, watches every day, which I just found delightful. Uh, She says she knew the cast by their character names and was also happy to see Galen Gehring, with whom she worked on Passions. But she missed seeing Ben and Sierra, as she referred to them, but Rob Wilson and Victoria Konefal. So she's hoping to get an invite back to the show and interact with that duo. Uh, Marla had a very busy summer. She turned 90, and she also got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. But she told me she chooses to vibrate on the age of 30, because at 30, you have your whole life ahead of you. Uh, I joked that I would adopt the same philosophy, but she told me I couldn't take 30, so I chose 28, because that's a great age in my opinion. All right. Well, I'll, I'll take 29 if it's still available then. Um, I'll tell you what was hands down the most fun interview I got to do for the new issue. It was talking to GH's Kim Schreiner, who had me absolutely cracking up as he described what is poised to happen this coming week when Scott and Obrecht head off on a romantic tropical getaway with Scott unaware that Obrecht has another agenda for the trip, which is to kill Peter. And that is arguably the other biggest bit of soap news to discuss, which is that as of Monday's episode, we can officially say that Wes Ramsey's Peter did not die at Finn's hands. He has made his way to Nixon Falls and discovered that Nina is keeping the secret of Sonny being alive and is using it to blackmail her, which is why Nina calls her Aunt Liesel in the hopes that Obrecht will go ahead and take care of that for her by taking care of Peter permanently. So we kind of know that the Nixon Falls storyline is hurtling towards some kind of end. And I do think it was a good soapy twist to have Peter be the first person to catch on to Nina's secret. So I'm sure we'll be following the goings on there with a lot of interest in the weeks to come. Oh, I definitely will. Uh, You know, bringing Peter back was very inspired. Um, And really just reading that interview with Ken made me so excited to see the story that you mentioned with him and Obrecht. 
Um, so we're also going to see some movement in the Brady Chloe Philip triangle on days. Uh, I feel the show has been flirting with these pairings, but suffice it to say that Philip will not like it one bit when Chloe and Brady get stranded together in Pennsylvania on a business trip. Uh, on a side note, I spoke to Eric Martsoff, who plays Brady, and he is from Pennsylvania. So uh, I asked if he thought it was a shout out to his home state that they wind up there and he says he wondered the same thing, so that's something I need to get to the bottom uh -huh. of. And something else that I'm really invested in already is where Young and Restless is going with Adam and Sally. So at the risk of upsetting the Shadam fan base, I have to say, I think this is going to be on-camera gold. I think the chemistry between Courtney Hope and Mark Grossman was there from the get-go, and whether it's for the long haul or just for a fun chapter, I am so excited to see what the show has planned for them. To me, it's the best possible way that YNR could have answered the question, what are we going to do with Sally? Because, you know, the thing with Jack didn't really go anywhere. She's been busted for scheming with Tara, and she's made a host of new enemies in the process. And I just love the, the ripple effect across the canvas that could happen if Adam and Sally were running around wreaking havoc together. I am very much looking forward to it. Well, another interview we have in this issue is with Bold and Beautiful's executive producer, head writer Bradley Bell, who tells us he is thrilled to have today's guest on his show. It's Ted King, who recently debuted in the role of Jack Finnegan. So let's check in with him and see how it's going. Hi, Ted. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Very excited to talk to you today. It's been a while. I feel the same way. Let's start back on the East Coast. You were raised in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, how would you characterize your childhood and what was it like to grow up there? Uh, at that point, my parents had split up. So it was just my mother and I living in a one bedroom apartment. And, um, and she was doing the best she could to raise me, but I had a lot of time alone. Um, so that was when I learned how to cook. And, uh, and then other than that, I was getting into trouble outside uh, with some friends in the neighborhood. Um, and that uh, was my first job. I got my first paper, paper route there. And then uh, my mother moved to California to get uh, married again. And I stayed and lived with my best friend at the time and his family. And I'm really grateful for that experience, actually, because that was a big Catholic family, five kids. Um, I didn't come from that background. And they were a hardworking family. And they taught me the value of hard work. Well, you got your degree at the uh, acclaimed NYU Tisch School of the Arts uh, in film direction, and you worked professionally as a film and TV uh, or, or film and video editor for a time. So tell us where along the way you discovered that you liked being on the other side of the camera. Well, I didn't actually get my degree from Tisch. I, I um, started there and then I ran out of money. Um, I was uh, an actor the whole time. I had moved to New York as an actor uh, and was trying to get, um, trying to find work basically and trying to, you know, sign up with the right agents, so on and so forth. So I realized, all right, I don't need to, um, I mean, the best thing I could do at that point was to, to if someone else wasn't going to hire me, was to direct uh, my own work. So I went to Tisch, loved it, great experience, um, was there for a short period of time. And then, like I said, I ran out of money. So I got a job 
working for a small production company. They had, they were some of the, um, one of the first production companies in New York to have the Avid, which is a, an editing um, software for computers back in the day. So uh, I went to work for them as an assistant and um, got my feet wet doing production coordinating and editing everything that they would throw at me. And I was sneaking out at lunchtime to go on auditions, uh, unbeknownst to them at the time. I would take these incredibly long lunches and, and they would always ask me, where, where were you? And I'd have to come up with some story about, oh, I was waiting in a really long sandwich line. <laughs> so I ended up booking a job, uh, this amazing casting director who used to work at Loving brought me over uh, and I had auditioned for her about a year previously and then I got a call from her out of the blue and she said, come over, I think I finally have a role for you. Not knowing what that was, I, of course, dashed out, went across town on the subways and auditioned or met with her and, again. And um, that gave me the role of Danny Roberts on Loving, which at the time was a very small role. And then after working there for a period of months, they offered me a contract role. So then I had to quit the production company job and explain everything to them. Fortunately, <laughs> they were Fortunately, they're incredibly generous people and very understanding. And, uh, and as they say, the rest is history. Mm -hmm. Well, Danny was your first soap role. Um, started on Loving, and then it became The City that same year. So that was a pretty big deal in daytime. And also just setting the show the way they did or resetting the show the way they did. So what was it like for you to be part of that transition? It was a whirlwind. It, there was a lot of... Um, a lot of great ideas at the time. They were trying to create a daytime show in the, in the same technical vein as NYPD Blue, where we were shooting a lot of steady cam footage, wireless microphones, and shooting on location around New York City. So it had huge aspirations and it was very expensive and ultimately it failed. Um, Ultimately, I don't think the audience really wanted it, to be honest with you. I think, I think the daytime audience uh, loves their format and always has and, and, and always will. Um, that's, there's a familiarity there that's, uh, it's, um, that's not something people want to change. I agree with that, generally speaking. Um, so, uh, yeah, you must. I mean, you guys have seen it all. So, you know, when, when they, when, when shows try to push the envelope too far on the technical aspects, I don't think the audience really is embracing it. Well, it's not something as a viewer I want to see. I think you have an expectation of what you're getting when you watch a soap. And I do understand that the idea that, oh, well, if we just put it in a new you know, location, it'll be different. It'll, if it's more modern, it'll be different. And I just don't feel that that goes with traditional soap viewing. And this is a still a very traditional model that I feel yeah. they need to follow. And when I was working with Naomi, the actress who plays Lee uh, on Bold and the Beautiful, she's fairly new to daytime. So we had a lot of conversations about the difference between daytime and shooting primetime and shooting features. Um, she's done a lot of work in primetime and features. And I said, this is nothing like that. This is closer to, uh, as I ex explained to Mara, this is closer to like a Brechtian play where you're facing the audience and speaking your lines directly to the audience. Uh, if we turn our back to the camera, <laughs> they, 
and, and try to speak, we generally get cut and we have to redo it because uh, they want to see what the, what the actors are saying. Mm -hmm. Well, all right. When I think of Danny Roberts, I think of Ali. I think of uh, Laura Wright as your love interest. What stands out to you about working with her way back when? Well, Laura was really generous. She, um, she introduced me to her agent at the time. She was really generous as an actor um, to rehearse with. And, uh, you know, she was uh, paired up with another actor when I first came on. And then he left the show. And so <clears throat> they put us together. I'm not sure the audience ever embraced that because I was part of the, my character was part of the reason why the other character left the show. So it was difficult for the audience to sort of, all right, this guy forced that other character out in a bad way. How do we embrace, how, how, why would she be in love with him? But you know, that does happen in life as we all know. <laughs> We, we we persevered and pushed on, but I think Danny had a bunch of romances at the time. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, and uh, I think he ended up with uh, with Morgan Fairchild's character at one point. Mm, well, not bad. Um, <laughs> well, when you do look back on your time as Danny, what are the names other than Laura that jump out to you as having been a big presence in your experience there? Well, I'm still very close friends with Randy Mantooth. And uh, one of the guys behind the scenes named Brendan Higgins, who's now the stage manager at Young and the Restless. And so I made a lot of uh, so, so, some lifelong friendships from that show. And, you know, that was a different time. That was a time when, when guys like Randy and, and George Palermo could just constantly be playing practical jokes on the set. And, and they were generally on the rest of us. And, uh, and we laughed and we had a good time and we were able to take our time shooting and none of that exists anymore now. It's, <laughs> it's really a fast, fast paced shoot, as you guys know. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you take the show's cancellation? Was it crushing or did you take it in stride? You know, I was kind of a little too new to be crushed by it. And I was young and when you're young, you always assume there's another one around the corner. Uh, and for me, I was fortunate because I, I auditioned for primetime shows right when that was canceled and um, was offered pilots on my first two auditions. So I was extremely fortunate. And one of them was a guaranteed on the air. So we went with that one, which was a show called Time Cop. So, uh, you know, I, ABC moved me from New York to Los Angeles and I started a life in Los Angeles and working on that show. So, you know, I was fortunate. Um, you bounced yeah. back pretty quickly. I bounced back quickly, and then that show was canceled. So, you know, that's when I had to really learn my lesson. <laughs> get, <laughs> get, get the slap across the face that, that, that the Hollywood business will, will give you every now and then. I remember Time Cop, certainly. It was 1997, the TV adaptation yeah. of the Jean-Claude Van Damme film. You played Officer Jack Logan. So just tell us about your experience of doing Time Cop. Um, it was great. It was exhausting. I was shooting 16 hour days. I was doing most of the stunts for the show, which I, which I wanted to do. And I, I did have a great, um, couple of stunt coordinators, uh, stuntmen that filled in for me on the big stuff, but I did a lot of, of the fighting scenes and, um, you know, jumping off of second stories and stuff like that. Um, but it was, 
very fast paced. There were, there, it was a real lesson for me. You know, I was learning about an international audience versus a national audience, what, what how, how that plays into where, the, how the show is written. Um, certain, we had a storyline that we shot the pilot in that took place in a country, and then that country turned out to be one of the major um, financial providers for the show and so they had to rewrite the whole pilot we had to shoot a whole different uh storyline and city um because the original country and storyline uh, they didn't like the storyline that we, <laughs> we had provided them so, wow. so yeah you're running into all kinds of interesting business aspects that you don't necessarily want to deal with as an actor but you're forced to because all of a sudden they're saying all right everything you just shot we're not going to use it. We're going to reshoot everything. And that's really costly, too, for the network. So uh, it was a lesson, I think, all around. Well, after Time Cop in 1998, you spent a season on the cult fave show Charmed, where you played uh, another <laughs> officer, this uh, Inspector Andy Trudeau, uh, yes. who was the first love of Shannon Doherty's crew. So what stands out to you uh, about your 21-episode run on that show? Well, I wasn't green by then, so and and not and I'm not just speaking as an actor. I'm talking about the uh, working on a network show and having that show uh, be canceled because that had now happened for loving the city and also Time Cop. So I didn't go into it with many hopes and expectations. I went into it literally showing up, doing the work and going home. Um, so it wasn't a lot of fun for me um, because I didn't allow it to be. And that's, that's, you know, that was just me being jaded at the time. Um, but the work was good and the writing was good and the show had a great uh, audience. So it took off, but um, I, I, I needed to leave um, at the end of the first season. So I asked the producers if they would let me go and they, and they uh, spoke to uh, Aaron Spelling who said, if he doesn't want to stay, we're not going to make him stay. And so they let me out of my contract. So, and then they wrote me a beautiful ending on the show, a very heroic uh, ending for Andy Trudeau. So that was, it was a great, you know, it's a great ending uh, for me on the show. They, they were, uh, there was a lot of respect there, which was great. Well, more primetime appearances followed, and one we must ask you about was in 2001 when you played a conquest of Samantha's named Brad on Sex in the City, which airs all the time on E. I'm sure you're not, you're, maybe you're aware. Um, so tell us about working with Kim Cattrall and just being part of such a buzzy show. Uh, buzzy is right. I mean, that show was so hot when uh, I stepped in to do a guest star spot. I had auditioned a few times for those uh, same producers and casting directors. Previous scripts that I auditioned for, I didn't like that much. I didn't think they were that funny. And then the, when this one came to me and was offered to me, I was thrilled because it was a whole, it was just, it was just great scenes. And I got to work with Kim and she's fantastic. And, um, and I met her on location in Manhattan, I'd always wanted to shoot since the city. I'd wanted to shoot a primetime show on location in Manhattan because, as you know, you guys know, living in New York, when you're on the streets in New York, anything can happen. You know, you get right. truck drivers yelling at you, <laughs> people 
swearing at you and it's, it's just a riot. And uh, so I got the chance to do that. I walked up and saw this huge production uh, right near the, um, right near, uh, I think it was around 44th and 5th Avenue um, where we shot. Everything was, the street was blocked off. Cab drivers were honking and they were, they were angry. And, and uh, we, you know, we just sat down in our chairs, waited for them to say action. And then we started rolling. But Kim told some amazing, hilarious stories about shooting that show while we were waiting. So uh, I enjoyed that shoot a lot. It was great. Particularly one about Sonia Braga. She had worked with the previous episode. And so if you, if you guys are familiar with that episode with her and Sonia Braga, you'll kind of get an idea of what she was telling you. <laughs> yes, that was when Samantha had a relationship with a woman. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I've seen them all. So uh, the following year in July, you returned to daytime, joining General Hospital as Louise Alcazar, the head of the Alcazar crime family. So how did your daytime comeback come about? Yeah, so I, I believe I, in between, had gone to Africa to shoot a film with Ron Perlman and Mia Sarah. And, um, and then I was offered a short-term role on General Hospital for about four months, basically to bring Vanessa Marcel's character back to the show. And so I said, great, I'll do the short-term role, I'll be done by pilot season, and then start working uh, hopefully on primetime again. So I started doing the role on GH uh, as Luis Alcazar, and just really enjoyed it. It was a great role, um, great, you know, um, people behind the scenes. And so that role was up in four months. They had always planned on killing him off. Uh, once, once, um, Vanessa's, once Brenda was brought back to the canvas. So they killed Luis off, but then Brian Franz, the head of daytime at the time, uh, came to me, stopped me in the hallway and said, we're going to bring you back. I said, okay. <laughs> and, uh, we're going to have you steal Sonny's wife. And I was like, you might want to run that by him. Um, and, uh, and I don't know whether they did or not, but anyway, I came back and that was the storyline. So I came back and when I came back, I was able to have more of an input into the character. And so I had, had a vision of him in the middle of the night with long hair and a beard and some cowboy boots. And, and uh, so that's how he came back on the canvas playing Luis's brother, Lorenzo. And we talked about who Lorenzo was. I talked with the head writers um, about who he was. And we decided that if Luis was the older brother, Sonny from The Godfather, then Lorenzo is, is Michael Corleone type. Uh, when he comes back on the canvas, basically saying he's a reluctant, he's reluctant to go into the, the family mafioso business or the mafia business. So, um, yeah, we just rode that train for a while, which was, which was, uh, which was fun. Well, I mean, but what did you think? You were coming in to play Louise for a few months. That role's, you know, done. Did you want to stay as Louise? Like, was there ever a chance, like a time when you thought, oh, I'm having a good time. Maybe this could be extended. No, I don't think I did. I don't think I ever said I want to stay as Louise. Um, but when they came back and, and offered me the role uh, of Lorenzo, 
when I got a chance to actually put some input into it, then I really got excited by coming back and, and doing something that I hadn't done before. Because as you guys know, you know, all I ever wanted to do in this business was be a chameleon. Um, you know, every role, if it doesn't challenge me, then I'm not really interested in it. If it's not something different than I've already done, then I'm not really interested in it. And that role was very different than Luis. You know, he was much more romantic. Um, he was, as I said, you know, he was very educated. Uh, being a, a professor before he was brought, drawn into the family business. Uh, so, so, you know, I had a, there were a lot of layers to him that I enjoyed that I enjoyed from show to show and the show with the character was well written, you know, he was, he was smart. And, um, he was, um, he, he was reluctant, but it, but if he needed to be, and if he was pushed and if someone was threatening his family, he could be ruthless too. So it was a, a lot of, a lot of dynamics to, uh, Lorenzo. Well, you were, uh, you know, such a good bad guy that Maurice Bernard, who plays Sonny, recently told me that he thinks you were the very best rival he ever had on the show. Uh, I think it's sort of a thankless job in the GH universe to be the guy gunning for Sonny and Jason because they're kind of always going to win. Uh, but tell us about, you know, working with Maurice and also with Steve Burton, uh, who plays Jason. Um, well, that's very generous of Maurice, and, and uh, I'm surprised, um, but um, pleased at the same time. Uh, Maurice, uh, you know, I've always respected Maurice's work and, um, I, I think I've, I think I've told him that on a couple of occasions. And when I was playing Luis, uh, we as actors got along great. And then when I came on to play Lorenzo and they had this storyline where I was stealing, uh, Carly, uh, we didn't get along anymore as well as we used to. So that was hard for me because, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in there to do my job, um, and still have relationships outside of work. So there was always that dynamic between the two of us uh, when, when, when we were working. And um, it was an exciting time because we were constantly challenging one another on screen. And uh, it was good for the show. I always said that. I said, conflict is great for, this, for these roles. And it's, and it's great for... Um, uh, the Sonny Jason storyline too, because um, if they always win, then the, then the audience always knows what to expect, and that's predictable, and that's not interesting, at least to me as an audience member. You know, I I, I, want, I like the unpredictable. I like watching Game of Thrones when the lead of the show is is uh, killed after the first, whatever that was, the first ten episodes or whatever that was, and I was left with my mouth gaping open. I'm like, wait, you can't kill him. What do you take the family after that? But of course the show only went on to, to larger and greater things. So um, that's great for a show. I think it's great when, when you don't know that there's always a character or two that are always going to win every battle they have. I, I find that incredibly boring. So, um, so for me as an audience member, I enjoyed when, when, uh, when we were able to go, you know, in different directions. Well, for a time, Alcazar was involved with Carly, and you got to work with three different actresses in the role. So first, tell us about working with the first of them, Tamara Braun. Oh, Tamara, what a, what a joy. What a, what a gem. What a generous actor. What um, a lovely person. Yeah, we're still, we're still good friends. Uh, I don't see her all that often because I have kids now, but... But um, 
we do send each other, you know, little texts every now and then when someone's doing well on a show or working on something. So um, we stay in touch and, um, and I'm glad that she's uh, had so much success too. So yeah, working together with her was, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was easy because she was willing to dig deep and she, like I, what I mentioned earlier about, um, you know, there being conflict and, and making the, the show richer by putting, you know, these very successful characters at risk, you know, and she certainly did that when we were doing uh, GH, you know, it was, uh, some people didn't like it. The fact that Carly was interested in Lorenzo, some people did like it, but um, at, at the end of the day, she wasn't afraid to go there. And I think that makes her, uh, you know, a very um, smart and um, capable actor. So, uh, yeah, I don't have anything, um, yeah, other than saying that, she's, she's, she's terrific. In 2005, when Tamara left, uh, first Jennifer Bransford took over as Carly briefly. I think she was the Carly that actually married you on the show, and then Laura right. Wright assumed the part. Uh, right. So you got to reunite 20 years down the line with your first soap love. So what was it like working with her again? Well, we didn't get a lot of time together because I left the show shortly after that. But um, I remember when they were talking about hiring her, the executive producer asked me about her because they had never worked with her before. And I told her, I said, I said, you know, I should, I said, she's, she is Carly. I said, you guys are going to hire the right person. She's, um, she's going to nail that role and you're going to be happy. And, and it's obviously that's, that's completely true. She's been on, longer than I was on the show. So she's, um, you know, she's, she's, she's left an indelible mark uh, on that role. And I think, I think the audience really enjoys that. Mm -hmm. um, well, you mentioned in 2007, you opted to leave the show much to the dismay of GH fans. So talk us through why you made that decision. I think that the, the role had, had come to a point of, of um, where he wasn't, being exactly what we spoke about earlier, where he wasn't able to win against um, his foes. There wasn't any, uh, there wasn't any unpredictability. So when it became predictable, it was hard for me. I didn't enjoy it because I don't like going in and, and um, being the fall guy and being the guy that, you know, the character that gets, that constantly loses, I find that incredibly boring. And so it was time for me to go. Well, the following year, your real life changed uh, quite dramatically. You tied the knot with your wife, Maya. And in 2010, you welcomed the first of your two beautiful daughters. So this, yeah. is, a, this is a big question. But how did life change for you in the span of those few years when you became a husband and a father? Well, when we, uh, I married Maya, and then we deliberately took a year uh, honeymoon before we started trying to have children. And then when we started, Ava was, uh, Maya got pregnant. <laughs> and then um, Ava was born, and she, I think she was about two and a half months old when, well, Maya was pregnant with Ava when, um, 
Frank Valentini contacted me for One Life to Live, asked me if I would be interested in coming back to New York to shoot that. And then Ava was born, and then we moved to New York with a newborn. So that was incredibly stressful and complicated, trying to find an apartment in New York City. I was there for, I think, three days, and I had to shoot a number of shows during that time, and then also run out and try to find an apartment for my new, my new uh, nuclear family. Yeah. And, and it was really difficult. And then I came back, and then, we, then I came back to Los Angeles and packed everything up. Uh, I remember I was packing in the rain and bringing everything into the storage units in the rain. I had some friends helping me out, thank God. And uh, we got everything in, and then it seemed like we got on a plane the next day and uh, flew to New York and found ourselves there between Christmas and New Year's and with a newborn uh, and no apartment. The apartment wasn't ready yet. <laughs> so we, uh, and then I started shooting shortly after New Year's Day. And um, we then, you know, got the apartment set up and, and, and we, I think we actually kept unopened boxes in that apartment the entire time we were there the first year. <laughs> <laughs> we just did not have the time or the energy to, uh, to, to unpack everything. So it was, a, it was a crazy time. But again, another great role. Um, I was able to put my two cents in on as well uh, for Tomas Delgado. And um, I think the only stipulation that ABC had at the time for hiring me was that he'd be um, related to Taya, who was uh, of Latin origin. So Tomas had to be of Latin origin. So uh, again, I was speaking Spanish like I was with, um, with Lorenzo. And, um, and then they, he was also, uh, he, became, he became a multinational, with a multinational, you know, backstory. And so he was also speaking French. And he was uh, trying to keep secrets from everybody. So there was, there was another was great painter. Character. Yes, he was a painter. We thought he was a, when he was first introduced, we thought he was just a painter, and then we found out <laughs> then there was he was actually more. on the lam. Yeah, from from as, several. As one painter is. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so now your love interest on that show was Cassie DePivas Blair. So tell us yeah. about working with Cassie. Cassie, another extremely generous actress uh, or actor, I should say. Um, sorry, I'm old school, and uh, <laughs> okay. and. She, uh, wow, what a, what a beautiful person to work with on a daily basis. Just a, just a, a spark of joy every morning and, and um, really willing to do the work, always prepared, um, never any issues with things taking too long because, you know, she wasn't ready. She was always ready. And she had a, a lot to handle too at the time. I remember with her son and, um, and looking after him and uh, he was having some surgery at the time. And so, you know, uh, I've just, just been blessed with a lot of great co-stars over the years. Uh, and she was definitely one of them. So Tomas was part of one of just the, you know, soapiest, 
most complicated storylines that daytime has has told which was the tale of two Todd's. i i think so you've got oh the two Todd's. you know that was a little yeah. labyrinthine uh yeah. but you got to work with both todd's trevor st john and roger howard what were they like yeah. to work with um different obviously um when i got there i don't think trevor wanted to be there um and i don't think that's any secret but um I loved Trevor. I loved working with him. A great sense of humor, amazing sense of humor. Um, and we got some really interesting work uh, done in front of the camera. And, um, and then he left, and this was before, you know, the two Todd's at that point, it was just one Todd who was originally played by Roger and then Trevor and then back to Roger. Um, so then Roger came on. I had never worked with Roger. I had met him once, I had a charity fundraiser in New York City years ago, and he was um, he was very quiet. I remember meeting when I met him the first time, and it was nice to see that by the time he and I had actually worked together on One Life, that he had opened up a bit, and um, and we were able to have some uh, some great conversations uh, during that time. I remember we were comparing notes on a book we we had both read, and uh, and. And Roger, you know, at that point, I think had been through a lot, um, trying to, you know, trying to live in Los Angeles and then coming back to New York. And, and so, yeah, he was in a good place and, and, and the role benefited from it. the show. When we knew the show was going off the air, we found out that there were going to be two, two Todd's. So earlier this year, of course, B&B wisely snapped you up to play Jack Finnegan, Finn's adoptive and biological father, and the ex-lover of Kimberlyn Brown's Sheila. So tell us all about how you came to join the B&B family. The way I came to join them was fairly simple. It was a matter of the casting uh, office reaching out to my representation and asking if I'd be interested. The timing was perfect because we'd all been locked down um, due to the coronavirus, and I had shot a pilot last fall uh, last October in Colorado and I was waiting to for that to be picked up but uh, at the time it hadn't been and and I believe when I was in my motel room in Colorado uh, on the side of a highway it was really glamorous um, I turned on the television in the middle of the day and there were my friends working acting on television during the day and I was incredibly happy for them but also jealous because they had jobs that they knew they could come back to the next week and um with coronavirus i really didn't know what the future held and i really didn't know how long we were going to all be locked down so when uh, bold and beautiful came knocking i i jumped at the opportunity and i knew it was for a short period of time um not not something to, you know, that was going to go on for too long, but I, I jumped at it because I, I just thought, all right, now's the time to do this um, so that I can, you know, keep my own mental health in the right place. And I'm not just uh, staying at home, quarantining for God knows how long. And uh, so we started working and then I was fortunate when I started working that they, I think two weeks prior, they had just stopped their uh, social distance acting on the show. So I didn't have to act with um, Tanner from six feet away. We could actually, you know, I could actually put my arm around him as my son. 
and uh, we could have face-to-face conversations. And uh, I had a lovely meeting with Brad Bell um, before I started where we discussed a little bit about the character, but I wasn't told a lot. I was told a bit, um, but not a lot. And so things unwrapped and were unveiled as we were all receiving the scripts. And then it was a question of, oh, okay, now Jack, Jack Finnegan has to do this dance between being a good husband and father and also being a man who kept huge secrets from his wife and son. And now he has to try to keep them by dancing with with the devil. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so that's where we're at right now, where mm-hmm. Jack is, uh, is, is trying to dance, uh, do the dance with Sheila, where she doesn't reveal his secrets. And in return, she gets one last meeting with, with Finn and Hayes. Yeah. You did have some friends in the cast going in, Scott Clifton, who you had worked with on GH when he played Dylan, and you mentioned that you knew Torsten Kay, who plays Ridge from your early soap days. So how did you know Torsten? Had you just crossed paths in New York? Uh, yeah, Torsten and I crossed paths, uh, again, well, you know, both working for the same network and back in the days, the, in the, I don't even want to say when. <laughs> um, yeah, we'd, I'd run into him, you know, uh, generally at functions for the network or functions for a charitable event in New York City. But, you know, Torsten's always been a real gentleman and a, and a lovely man, and I'm, I'm grateful that uh, I've gotten to know him through shooting this, and we've actually had a really great rapport, and he's been, uh, he's been a gem. He's been really great in, in ushering me into the show, which he's been in on for a long time. And he gets, you know, he gets where I'm coming from, which is is a veteran in this business for a long time and having done a lot of different things, films and prime time and daytime and and uh, and understanding um, understanding where we're both at, you know, raising families. Mm-hmm. Both dads of two daughters, might I add. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We talked a little bit about that. You are rocking an absolutely fantastic mustache as Jack. <laughs> Talk us through. That's, that's debatable. That's, that's <laughs> who, who wants to fight me on it? I think it's fabulous. <laughs> uh, is it, I think you told me that your wife likes it, so it's not. It's it's, it's a. She's she's not going to get in the ring with me over it. No, uh, no. She's, she's when I met, we I had a full beard, so she's pretty much seen all incarnations of my facial. Yeah. Hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, talk us through the facial hair decisions that had to be made in advance of your B and B debut, and how this look won. Well, when I did, when I shot the pilot in Colorado last year, I had more of a biker mustache and a, and a soul patch underneath. Uh, and he spoke with um, a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a Southern accent, although it's, he wasn't from the South, but um, what people caught, what people generally refer to as a Southern accent, but it was actually more of a, uh, Arizona, New Mexico accident. Um, so that I just kept that that look after I finished shooting because I never knew if we were going to go back and start shooting the next episode or when the show was going to get picked up or what was going on. So I just kept it because it's easier to shave than it is to try to grow it back quickly. And um, and then 
uh, B&B called and I, I sent them a picture of what I look like now. And I don't know if they were thrilled or not um, with the facial hair. So I went in to see Mr. Bell and then I went down to hair and makeup and I talked to them about it just before we started shooting. And uh, we decided just to go with the mustache. There's a lot of guys on the show that have beards. Um, so we decided just to go with the mustache and, um, and then, you know, I found that the mustache was, and, and his name, Jack Finnegan, um, inspired me with the character to dig a little deeper and figure, write this backstory for him. Um, not so much the mustache, but more his name and his cultural background. And then I started working with wardrobe on the way he dressed which I wanted to him to be a little more of, a, you know, if, when he's casual, he's more of European casual, old European casual than, than young American casual. He's not wearing, you know, T-shirts. Um, he's wearing button-down shirts and vests. So they were really open to that, which was fantastic. It was an amazing um, woman running wardrobe over there now and so we had a really nice rapport and, and we started working you know when you're working collaboratively on these roles it's always better for me as an actor because i get their input too and that only makes i can't think of everything you know and 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 so when you're working together you're creating a character you're creating a show and you're creating something that i think is interesting for the audience you're not nothing simple about Jack Finnegan, you know, he doesn't just pop on screen and you're like, Oh, I've seen that guy before. I mean, at least, at least I hope not. Maybe, maybe he is, but I, I hope not. Um, I hope he's different than, than, than things that, um, that people have seen, at least on this show. Definitely is. Um, so tell us about your experience thus far working with Tanner Noglin, who plays your son, Finn and Naomi Matsuda, who plays Jack's wife, Lee. Um, both fantastic. They're both, very generous uh, actors. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Naomi and I had a lot of conversations about daytime versus primetime versus films. Um, and uh, she's very easy to work with and, and uh, very professional. And, and so that made, you know, us as a couple, uh, made it easier for us to jump into both our roles. And I love actually i absolutely love when she and i are working and she has the sternness about her character where she's just looking through jack you know and and, and making him feel oh yeah i probably shouldn't have done or said that <laughs> she's she's that tough wife you know who's, who's not gonna stand for a hell of a lot um which makes her character really strong. And then Tanner uh, is, is uh, also a very generous actor. And he's, he's, you know, been there longer than both of us. So he's now the veteran on the show and, you know, kind of schooling us on how this show works versus other shows. And uh, he's been, as I mentioned, very generous about speaking to me behind the scenes about this and about that and sharing stories about what it was like to shoot during, during um, social distance acting on the show when he was at one point, I think he was doing all the scenes opposite of green screen. Um, 
which is interesting for daytime because that's more like a sci-fi than, than a daytime show mm-hmm. and uh, or a Marvel movie. <laughs> and, and, you know, Tanner's, Tanner's like a superhero. That guy is, he's gorgeous and super fit. And, you know, I, I, I just uh, feel blessed that he's, he's uh, playing my son because it only makes me look better. <laughs> but, but, and he, and, and he, and he plays the role so, so uh, innocently. And let me tell you, doing innocent in acting is one of the hardest things to do. It's underrated, it's underappreciated. But when you have a veteran actor, which Tanner is, and you get this beautiful innocence from the character, it's, it's, it's a tribute to him and it's a tribute to what he's doing because he knows better. He knows that, that Finn shouldn't be doing these things. And he sh- you know, Finn should be smacking his dad upside the head and say, dad, I'm not gonna do that. But you know, that's not the way, the roles are playing out, so um, he's he's doing he's doing a great job. Well, Jack didn't look like he was enjoying it much, but he did have a front row seat to the big shocker that uh, Sheila was a back in town and b Finn's mother when she crashed the Finn Steffi nuptials. I really have to give a big shout out to your fraught looks and your grimaces throughout all of that, because I really did think that they added uh, just a lot of texture to those scenes. Uh, But let's talk about Kimberlyn Brown, who plays Sheila. So did you know uh, from the start that Jack was going to be a part of the Sheila story? And, or, you know, did the name Sheila even mean anything to you? Like, did you have an awareness of the character's notoriety? I did have an awareness, I think, the exact words someone told me before shooting were, you're going to be working with the show Villainous. Um, so yes, I knew there was a, a lot of backstory there. I know she has great history on the show and um, have learned since the impact that her character has when she returns to the show. From the audience point of view, they absolutely love it. And um, so, so... And I hadn't worked with her in the beginning. In the beginning, I wasn't working with her at all. So it was just this anticipation of, of having these two characters connect. And then what, what was that going to be like? And honestly, you don't really know what that's going to be like until you work with the actor. You, you, you get the scripts. It could turn out like this. It could turn out like that. Um, and, uh, and fortunately, um, Kimberlyn is uh, very easy to work with from my vantage point. And... Uh, we just sat down in our dressing rooms and, and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. We had a lot of dialogue to do together. And we had to come up with our own individual backstories for this relationship. And that's interesting, too. We haven't really talked about our backstories together. I mean, it's in the script, you know, that they had this fling. But it doesn't dig too deep. So we have our own individual backstories, but we haven't actually spoken to each other about that. And for some reason, it's working on Mm -hmm. camera. So I'm not going to mess with it. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, Jack's been such a great addition to the cast, um, as Bradley Bell says in our new issue. Um, But tell us in general your experience there so far. Are you having fun? Would you like to see Jack be a more permanent member of the cast? I'm having a great time. I think I've expressed that to um, uh, all kinds of people there, <laughs> uh, whether it's actors or crew members um, or producers, all kinds of people. I just am really enjoying the experience. And that's not always true, you know. Uh, 
I don't want to sound like I'm kissing up because I'm not. I mean, I, I honestly enjoy the cast and crew. They're, they're really, really phenomenal. And they're, they've got wonderful actors on that show, you know, really wonderful actors who, when they're giving us a, a scene to do, they're digging deeper than what's on the page and they're bringing something that's not necessarily there. And, and I like to sit back as an audience member and watch them work. You know, whether I'm sitting in my dressing room and watching the, the, the feed on the monitor of what we're shooting live that day, and I'm just watching some of these actors work, and I'm just like, well, it's just, just great work. And that's inspiring for me to work in. You know, I mean, that's all, at the end of the day, that's, that's all, all I can ask for on a job where, you, where you're there every day. Um, you want to be inspired. You want to, you, want to be, you want to be pushed to a higher level in your own work and that definitely takes place every day on that set well it was like a very big deal in the soap world that bnb cast ted king uh it was a big deal for fans to have you back in daytime what does that mean to you to know that you know you certainly made a, a big mark on this genre over the years uh honestly i don't think about it much um i just try to keep pushing forward I haven't spent much time reflecting on my career. Doesn't uh, doesn't interest me at this point. Maybe when I'm sitting in a rocking chair, it will. <laughs> but right now, I'm I'm just trying to reach a higher level in my own work, and and um, and hopefully that that inspires people to watch. Well, before we let you go, is there anything you'd like to say to perhaps your newer B and B fans and the fans who have followed you and your daytime career for over twenty five years now? I couldn't begin to answer that question. <laughs> That's a huge question. Yeah, you know, I, I, um, I, I, I don't. I, the only thing you can say as an actor is that this is this is one of the tr one of the only art forms you can do where you have to have an audience. I can't do this in my living room by myself; otherwise, I fail. Um, so. You know, to have the audience that I've had over the years, to have people that have followed me in my career since the city is a, is remarkable and astounding, and uh, I'm very grateful. Well, it was so great to catch up with you today, and we are just so thrilled you could join us, and we couldn't be happier to see you on Bold and Beautiful, and hope to see Thank more you. of you. Thank you very much. All right, Ted, hope to talk soon. Have a great day. All right, you too. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Ted King for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. <laughs>